feeling 20 something tonight what's up you guys oh man it's good to have you guys here tonight welcome to the final week of swift me our relationship series i can't believe it's the final week already it's been a good series hey but in honor of the final week what we're going to do tonight is play a little game right now to see which gender understands more about love oh yeah let me tell you here's how the game works right now i am going to read I'm going to read romantic movie quotes. If you're the first person to yell out the correct movie, you score a point for your gender. First gender to five wins. Capiche? Does that sound good? Here we go. No. Although, when in doubt, the notebook, yeah. All right, you ready? Here's number one. Here we go. Life is not the amount of breaths you take. Wow. I didn't even get to finish it. I thought I heard a female. I, you were second, though, bro. I heard a female, I think, back here. All right. Hey, we can do it. Come on. Here we go. One nothing, ladies. Here we go. Next one. Love is like the wind. You can't see it. But, oh, two nothing. Two nothing ladies. All right, number three. Here we go. You ready? Shh. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you had me at hello. You, yes! All right, we got one for the guys. Guys, you're behind. It's one to two. Hey, secretly, you guys, I'm proud of you for not knowing all of these and kind of being behind, so don't, let's just play it off like that. Hey, all right, here we go. It's one to two. The ladies are ahead, okay? The next one. Me, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did. I'm scared of who, yes, it's Dirty Dancing. Was that my beautiful wife that yelled that? Was it? Three to one. All right, you guys, here we go. All right, you guys, here we go. You ready? Adrian! Yes! Three to two. Next quote. Are you not entertained? Three to three. We're tied up. Here we go. Next quote. I don't need, I don't need this. For, to, for, I don't, I've memorized this one. Okay, ready? This is, I'll be surprised if, here we go. Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I got everything I need right here. I got air in my lungs. I've got a few blank sheets of paper. Tell you, I love waking up every morning not knowing what's going to happen or who... Titanic. I wanted to finish that. All right, ladies. Your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. Braveheart in the back, four to four. I was not expecting this. All right, you guys, last one for all the marbles right here. 
And I'm going to let you yell it, but I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going with this. This is more for me than it is for you. So give me, <laughs> give me this minute. Do you guys know what this place is? Yes. This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 15,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field, man, it was painted red, bubbling with the, the blood of young boys with smoke and hot lead going right through their bodies. I tell you, listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with, with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. Now you listen, and you take a lesson from the dead. Because if we don't come together right now at Red Rocks Lakewood Campus, then we too will be destroyed, just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And one day, I don't know, maybe one day we'll learn to play this game like men and sing. Thank you. Wow. You guys, are you clapping for that or clapping because you're the champs? Okay, awesome. Hey, all right. All right, so all week I've been pondering this question in honor of the last night of the relationship series and we're talking about marriage and life and love and how all those things kind of tie together. I'm honored, completely honored to be up here and I've been pondering this question. You're going to think I'm like really deep and intellectual when I say this and please understand that's not the case at all. But I've been pondering like what is love? Like what, what the heck is it? Like where is it? What does it look like? What, like? what does love smell like? And I've been thinking about this all week like what the heck is love? And the conclusion I came to was like, you know, love is a lot like the internet. That's my conclusion. Like, nobody really knows exactly like what it is or how it works or where it comes from. Like, you can't make me more internet right now. Like, you can't, if I said, hey, where's the internet? You can't point to like where the internet is, okay? It's like, it's like the wind. I can't see it, but I can feel it. I know it's here. <laughs> and if it, if it suddenly went away, we'd all be blown up in like 30 minutes. Like, it's like love. The internet is like love. That was my conclusion, and then I read the Bible, and God had a different answer, so I went with that answer. But 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus Christ lays down his life, and that's love. According to God, love is laying down your life on behalf of those around you. And one of the great theologians, Owen Wilson, about 10 years ago, in a documentary he made about crashing weddings with one of his buddies. Beautiful film. It's beautiful. But he said, love is your soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another. And I was like, that's also a good answer. And so I was like, I'll Google what is love and see what I come up with. And I had an overwhelming amount of answers, a lot of these from kids. So you know this is going to be good. What is love? Here we go. A six-year-old girl. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go to a restaurant and smell each other. <laughs> a five-year-old girl. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. I was waiting for that. Yeah. A five-year-old boy. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day. 
Few things this side of heaven as pure as the love of a puppy. I'll tell you that. A six-year-old girl. Love is when my grandma got arthritis and she couldn't bend down to paint her toenails anymore. And so my grandpa does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Yeah. I know. Seven-year-old girl. Love is when mommy sees daddy all smelly and sweaty and icky and gross and still says that he's handsomer than Brad Pitt. That's love. A seven-year-old boy. Love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball is pretty good too. To which I'd say, right you are, son. Right you are. A 14-year-old girl. What is love? Love is Justin Bieber. What is love? Love is something Voldemort will never understand. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? And just a heads up, you might throw up or at least gag while I read this next one. What is love? Love is not needing a snooze button on your alarm clock because when it goes off for the first time in the morning, the thoughts of your loved one make it impossible to fall back asleep. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's spiders crawling on me when I read that. Like, sorry for that image for those of you who fear spiders, like my wife who's probably crying thinking about that. Last but not least, love is like a fart. If you have to force it, it's probably crap. So here's, <laughs> here's my question tonight. Here's my question tonight. How do you think our culture, by and large, would answer this question? Like, what is our culture's version of love? Like, if you were to take an honest sample looking around at our movies and our TV shows and our songs and our relationships and how we treat each other, like, what, what do you think our culture's version of love, with, of love is? And I honestly think, like, our culture would have a, lot, a, like a hard time defining love outside of the confines of self-seeking. In other words, love is a search for our own personal happiness. I love you because you make me happy, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy unless that's the only foundation that you have in love. That's not going to work because happiness is very, very fleeting. Think about Valentine's Day and what we celebrate. I'm not a, all my, my cards on the table right now, I'm not a huge Valentine's Day guy. I actually broke up with a girl once on Valentine's Day. She's now my wife, and so it's okay. That's, just, that's another story for another day. And I'm, I'm speaking by and large here, all right, as a whole, and I'm fully aware that there are exceptions to this. But as, as a whole, the kind of love that we celebrate in our culture, specifically like on Valentine, Valentine's Day, is very emotive and very, very conditional. Like, I love you because you make me feel good. I love you because you give me butterflies in my tummy. I love you because you make me feel like a schoolboy again, you know? I love you because you make me happy. But what happens when you no longer make me happy? What stops me from falling out of love with you and falling in love with somebody else? Like, what could I do? It was Cupid shot me in the butt with his arrow, and now I don't love this person anymore. Now suddenly I love this person over here because this person makes me happier. And please, you guys, hear my heart tonight because I'm not trying to be overly dramatic about this or just make some blanket statements, okay? I'm just saying, like, like the way that our culture views love and how, we, how it works within our culture, like, is not, it's not working, all you have to do is take a look and be honest about what you see, and that's the conclusion that you come to. The way our culture does love, it's not working. Our culture's view of love is not the kind of love that creates a generation full of married couples who are best friends, and everybody around them knows that they're best friends, and that's a picture of God's love to the rest of the world. That's not, our culture's love doesn't create those kinds of things. Our culture's love has a 50% fail rate. Our culture's view of love leads leads to broken families. Our culture's view of love have, ha, has people 
leaving as soon as things get hard. And I know there's exceptions, all right? I know, I know all the excuses, but guys, our culture's definition of love like leads to affairs, leads to loneliness within marriages, and has married couples who are a lot more like roommates than they are best friends. That's what our culture's view of love does, and, and I know that kind of stings because it's reality, and if we can't be honest about reality in here in church, then where can we do it? And I would, I would much rather have it sting a little bit if we can be realistic about the kind of love that God has for us in the context of marriage and how we should go about that because we might be able to avoid being yet another generation who as a whole epically fails at this whole marriage thing, to be honest with you guys. Like, that's not God's intention, for marriage, God's intentions and God's desires for our marriages and our generation, for the people in this room, those desires are awesome. He doesn't want how it's played out in all the generations before us. That breaks his heart. And I believe with all my heart, man, that's why I do this job. I love our generation. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to be a generation that rises up to take its place as a light to the rest of the world. And the ultimate way, yes, the ultimate way that we can do that is through marriages, all right? Marriages are one of God's most ultimate lighthouses to reach a very dark and broken world full of broken people who are desperate to cling to any flickering of hope or life that they can find. And marriages do that. And I've been praying like, God, what would it look like to have an entire generation of people in marriages with their best friends in a way that people around them know, like, yeah, they're best friends. Everybody knows it. Like, doesn't that sound awesome? Shouldn't that be the goal? Like, that is a force to be reckoned with. That's the kind of force that's going to push back some serious evil in our world. That's the kind of force that is not possible through our culture's view and definition of what love is. But it is a force that is possible through God's view and his definition of love. And so what is that? What is God's version of love? If we can put 1 John 3.16 back up there one more time, this is how we know what love is. Once again, here's God's version of love right here. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We ought to follow suit with Jesus. And we have um, so many different definitions of what love is in our, in our culture. And I'll give you an example. I love my wife, and I love pizza. <laughs> Same word, two very different meanings, all right? I love my wife a lot more than I love pizza, and it's saying a lot, all right? I love my friends, and I love my car. I would die for my friends. I probably would not die for my car, all right? I love pizza, and I, you know, I love Arby's, too, I'd die for pizza. I ain't going to give up my life for Arby's, okay? <laughs> and, and so we throw love around all the time, like, oh, Taylor Swift, I love her. Love her. And like, like you probably do, but I guarantee you it's not in the same way that you love your best friend who, unlike Taylor Swift, reciprocates that love back to you. <laughs> it's true and it's not our fault that it's not our fault that we have that we use love for so many different things because in our in our um, language English we just have that one word we have love and that's not how it is in the Bible in the Bible like just in the New Testament alone which was originally written in Greek there are four words that all mean love in very different ways and they're all used for very different things and have very different meanings and we take all of those words and we just kind of Bring it to one English word, love. For example, one of those words in the Greek is a word called phileo, and phileo refers to a communal love that requires reciprocation, okay? Any, any Bible scholar or teacher would say that phileo um, is conditional. 
like it requires that love on the other side as well. Phileo describes an emotional connection that goes beyond acquaintances or casual friendships. We see phileo in verses like Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in phileo. Honor one another above yourselves. And this kind of love is based on feelings and requires phileo from other human beings in return in order for it to sustain itself. Like, I have your back, you have mine. I like like you as long as you like like me. Like, that's, that's phileo, and it has its place, and it's awesome, but it's dramatically different from other types of love in the New Testament, specifically the word agape, which is a different kind of love that needs no reciprocation in return. Agape is the unconditional love that God feels for you and me. I love the definition. Agape, a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, the highest of any love, demonstrated by Jesus when he saved the world. And we see that kind of love, agape, in our most famous verse, John 3.16. For God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is God's type of love, all right? This is the highest form of love that we have. It's something that's so good that honestly we'll never really be able to fully grasp it or understand it in our lifetime because as human beings, man, we love with phileo. We love with the kind of love that needs a reciprocation. Um, it's how we as human beings tend to, to love each other so much. Like for instance, okay, you're not scratching my back. Well, forget you. I'm not going to scratch yours either. Oh, you're going to go talk bad behind me, behind my back to all of our friends? Well, okay, please don't expect any kind of love from me, from me anytime soon. That is phileo. We love with phileo. It's very much conditional, but it is not how God loves us. Phileo is not how God loves us, and you need to get that tonight. God loves with agape. It's kind of like God is saying, okay, so you're, man, you're going to continue, continue to just run from me and pursue sin instead of pursuing me, despite the fact that it's left you empty Time and time again, I'm putting my heart on the table, my love and my affection for you on the table daily, and my heart's getting broken. It's like God's saying that to us, and, and then we just go, and he's like, okay, well, I'll watch my son be murdered on a cross so that I can still be with you. That's how God loves, unconditionally. That is what God is. So if you ever find yourself in a place where you don't feel worthy to be loved and you feel like you're not measuring up to some kind of standard to be able to earn God's love, you simply need to remind yourself that God's love is agape and actually never required you to be worthy in the first place. It's like, God, like, are you serious, God? You're going to give your son and pay the ultimate, pl ultimate price with a whosoever believes in you? Like, God, do you get that probably throughout history there are billions of people who will never care that you did that and you're still going to do it? Yeah. Agape. Unconditional. Well, God, I, I'm so, God, I just, I screwed up again. And I, I don't know why I keep continuing to do the things that I do. God, I don't want to do those things. But, I, God, I feel so dirty and so ashamed and I feel like I just need to run from you for a few days or a week and just sort of punish myself in some weird way and give you a time to, a chance to calm down and God's saying, oh, what, why? Where did you get that idea? You got that idea from phileo, but not from agape. You don't need to run because actually my love has zero conditions. Don't run from me, run to me because when you do, you're running towards agape. Yeah, okay, I, and thank you, God. Thank you that that's 
reality. And you know what? Like, I'm really not all together right now, and, and I'm having a hard time, and I'm struggling in a lot of things, God. But one day, God, one day, my future version of myself is going to be so on fire and so much better than today's version of me. God, just please do not look at today's version of me. Oh, no, I'm actually looking right at today's version of you. And guess what? My love's a little bit bigger than your today. You see, I knew what I was getting into when I sent my son to the cross. I knew what I was buying on the cross. I don't have buyer's remorse looking at you. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. I do not phileo you like you phileo other people. With every bit of who I am as God, I agape you. Unconditionally, I shall love you for the rest of eternity, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. So get that through your head and stop thinking differently. I agape you with everything that I am as God. And so we have these two kinds of love. We have phileo, which is the, uncondition, which is the, the conditional love that we um, love each other with. And then we have over here on this side of the spectrum, we have agape, which is God's unconditional love that he loves us with. And agape, agape in all the research that I did, it says like this word is reserved for God to describe the way that he loves because no human being is perfect enough to love with agape, the way that God does. And um, that word is kind of like holy. You know, we hear words like holy, and those are reserved for God as well because only God is holy. But we are still called to strive to be holy every single day. And although we're going to do that imperfectly because that is impossible to completely get there, we are called to strive fueled by grace, all right? In the same way as holy, Agape is in that same category. We are strive to love each other with agape. We're called to strive to love each other unconditionally, and obviously we're going to do that imperfectly, which is why, once again, that is also fueled by grace. And when we strive to love with agape, I was thinking about it this way, like we shoot for agape. We shoot for the stars by shooting to love like agape, and we land somewhere around Another word, a third word that I want to stick in your guys' heads tonight, a word from the Old Testament that we find in the Song of Solomon called Ahava. And this is a Hebrew word, and I was doing a ton of research on Ahava this week and kind of boiled everything down to one sentence. And if I could sum Ahava up in one sentence, here, here it is right here. The kind of love that is started by a connection but fueled by a decision. The kind of love started by a connection, but fueled, and it lasts, it carries through by the will, by a decision. So somewhere on the scale between the conditional love of phileo and the unconditional love of agape, ahava is our best attempt to love in the same way that Jesus did. We shoot for the heavens when we go for agape, and we land with ahava. It's our best attempt to love unconditionally. Ahava begins with a connection, begins with that spark, and is fueled by vows. It's fueled by a decision. It's fueled by us making a choice. Ahava is the love of the will, all right, which goes drastically different from the love that we celebrate on Valentine's Day. Sorry, I'm bagging on Valentine's Day so much, but if we could call that day Ahava Day and celebrate that kind of love, man, I'd be all about that. That'd be something to actually celebrate, all right? And Matt Chandler says it this way. I love how he says it. He says, Ahava is the kind of love that says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. All right, and before we romanticize that and think the most epic date, violins playing in the background, right on the ocean with the sunset, holding your girl's hand, kissing it, and saying, baby, I'm not going anywhere. Before we get that vision in our head, let's be honest about what ahava 
really means, all right? Ahava is a deep and committed love of the soul that displays its strength and power through the will. In other words, think about this scene. Think everything's going wrong, all right? Things are blowing up left and right. You're having an argument. There's being knives thrown across the room. You're hunkered down behind a couch. My wife doesn't really throw knives. I was just doing that for dramatic effect. Knives being thrown, things blowing up everywhere, and you're like, baby, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere right now, and I've seen difficult, and I'm staying. I've seen difficult, and I'm in. I've seen the broken side of you, and I am here. You've seen the broken side of me, and you are here. Nobody's going anywhere. Ahava, I am not going anywhere. It starts with a decision. I'm sorry, it starts with that connection. Is fueled by a decision to stay. You don't need to wonder if your spouse is out of here the moment that you let your guard down and show the broken side of you, which is necessary, by the way, for intimacy. I don't need to wonder if Sam is out of here the moment I am broken in front of her. She doesn't need to wonder if I'm out of here the moment she's vulnerable and broken in front of me. In case you're wondering or thinking maybe you don't have an ugly side or a broken side, tonight might be a good night for a reality check. And in case you might think that, well, maybe one day my spouse will never see the full extent of my ugly or broken side. Let me be the one to pop that bubble right now. That's happening. And in that moment, phileo is not going to do you any good. In that moment, you need ahava, the love of the will, the love that says, I've seen ugly and I'm in. I've seen broken and I am not going anywhere. I've seen... I've seen the worst, and I'm here. I'm here. Like, according to the Song of Solomon, um, where this comes from, I want to show you guys this verse. He says, Ahava is as strong as death. Song of Solomon 8, 6, 7, right here. Place me like a seal. And by the way, this is happening. This is Solomon and his bride during a very difficult season of their lives. And this is what she says to him. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love, Ahava, is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, ahava. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Ahava begins with a spark sustained by the will. My wife and I, a few weeks ago, we just celebrated our first anniversary. Yeah. Just the nicest group of young adults you guys are. And, uh, and so that's why I'm doing the marriage talk, because I've done a year, so I know everything. <laughs> um, if you didn't get the sarcasm in that, there, it was there, all right? So I absolutely love being married. I really do. Like, this first year has been, um, it's been fun. It's been rewarding, and it's been challenging, all rolled up into the exact same thing. Fun and rewarding because you really do get to live with your best friend and come home to your best friend every single night. Challenging because you're, two, you're putting two broken, sinful, selfish people under the same roof as one flesh to now live day-to-day with each other and make decisions together, and that doesn't just happen probably as easy as we all imagine that hopefully it's going to happen for us. That takes work, all right? So fun, fun and rewarding because... I've experienced a level of intimacy I never thought was possible for me within this past year. Challenging because in order for that to happen, I've got to be vulnerable and let Sam see the broken and ugly side of me, the part that I didn't spend a lot of time on our first date talking up when I was trying to get her to like me and I was trying to get her to marry me. I have to let her see that part if we're going to have intimacy and know each other and she's got to do the exact same thing and there's nothing about that that's flattering or fun and on those days, ahava is what you need because she needs to know that I'm not going anywhere. I've seen broken and all of my chips are in and there's nothing that is going to change that and I need to know. Okay. 
I need to know that I can act like my idiot self in front of her and, she, and make bad jokes and she can roll her eyes all she wants, but she ain't going anywhere. And I know that. And I know that the, the eye rolling, baby, I know that's all out of love. I really do. <laughs> and and, and, and um, so God, and I want you guys to hear this because you guys are going to hear a thousand sermons in your life and get advice from, from everybody in your life, from a thousand different media outlets, and everything just kind of blends together at some point because we have an oversaturation of information in our society, and I don't want this sermon to be another one of those. So I keep saying this over and over and over and over and over again, that ahava, the kind of love for marriage that you need, starts with that spark, starts with the connection, starts with those butterflies, and it's fueled by a decision. It's not fueled by emotions. If it's fueled by emotions, it's not going to work. It's fueled by your vows, fueled by a decision. Marriage is the crown jewel of all of God's creation because marriage is actually not even about marriage. Marriage is about something much bigger than marriage. It's a picture of God's love for his people, of God's love for his church. So in other words, and I heard a pastor named Scott Nickel explain it this way. Like if, you went up, if somebody went up to God and said, hey, God, explain to me, like, how you love your people, how you love your church. Like, what exactly does that look like? He should be able to point to my marriage and say, it's kind of like that. Kind of like that. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives the charge to the husbands to love their wives the way that Christ loves his church. And then he gives the charge to the wives, love your husbands and respect your husbands and inspire them to play their role. And as you do that, your marriage is going to be a picture to the rest of the world of what my love for my people looks like. That's why marriage is one of God's most epic lighthouses to a very dark world that is desperate right now for life. That's why marriage, marriage can be so powerful, and that's what, put, that's what puts marriage at the very, very top, and I mean the very, very top of Satan's most wanted list of things that he's trying to take down. And, things, and he's been doing a good job at taking them down. Think about the way that Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Like, Adam was by himself before Eve even came along for years. Just in the garden, working the ground, sitting on a rock, naming animals, elephant, giraffe, lion, God, I don't know, platypus, like how much longer? <laughs> and it was years before God decided it's not good for this guy to be alone. Not good. I'm going to make him a friend. I'm going to make him a partner in crime and Satan then, once Eve walks down the aisle and they become one flesh and they're married, that's when Satan enters on, onto the scene. And, and he had years to do that when Adam was just by himself and never showed his face. All of a sudden, Adam's married and Satan enters in. Why? Because more damage that way. Because if Satan can take down a marriage, he does far more damage than he simply if he just attacks Adam and gets Adam to stumble all by himself. That's why marriage is a parable of something bigger. Marriage is that lighthouse that I keep saying. And there's an incredible damage to be found in taking down a marriage. And a lot of us in this room have felt the effects of that in one way or another. The enemy is very, very real. But so is God. And God is a lot bigger and his love for us makes it possible for us to love each other in a way that keeps the enemy from winning. And Van, you guys can come back out. I usually say that so, like, Van, come back out. Van, if you guys want, we'd love to have you back out. Yeah. I was thinking about this and thinking about how unbelievably freeing 
ahava is because when we love each other conditionally, we put a lot of pressure on the other person to be perfect and they put a lot of pressure on us to be perfect because there's conditions at stake now. And ahava takes all the pressure off of that in unbelievable ways. takes the pressure off. You're now freed up to be intimate with each other and let your guards down for them to see all of you and you see all of them, including the brokenness and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly is all, is all out there. And ahava makes that safe. Ahava also points us to the God who's going to fill the void within us. I hear so often, like, and I think we get this kind of nonsense from movies like Jerry Maguire. Thanks a lot for that. But, like, I'm going to find somebody who's going to complete me. I'm going to find somebody, and they're going to complete everything about me because all of us have a void in our hearts. It's just part of living in a world post-Genesis 3. All of us have a void that we're constantly trying to fill. And so many of us will look to fill that void with different things, but a lot of us will look to fill that void with different people and relationships, thinking one day I'm going to meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right and, the, and like the perfect person, and they're going to finally fill this void that I feel inside of me. But think about the amount of pressure that puts on that person to have to do that for you, to have to come in and fix you, to have to come in and complete you and save you. Like if I put that kind of pressure on Sam to come in and fill all of my voids, like she could not hold up beneath the weight of that. That's not fair of me to do that to her, and it wouldn't be fair for her to do that to me. There is no man, there's no woman, no matter how awesome they are, that's ever going to come in and complete you and fix you and save you. Sam's already got a savior. And guess what? It's not me. It's Jesus. I've already got a savior and it's not her. It's Jesus. Jesus comes in with agape and truly, you guys, fills those voids in our hearts so that we're suddenly freed up having those voids filled to go out and unconditionally love people without expecting them to complete us in some weird way or be our saviors in some weird way. It takes the pressure completely off and allows us to freeze us up to love each other even more. Like when you, when you put that pressure on somebody, whether you audibly say it or think this or not, it doesn't matter. Think of the way that you, you act and behave within relationships. Are you expecting somebody to complete you? Because if you are, I'm just going to say this blunt, your, your life's going to be miserable as you go from person to person to person to person and over and over and over again not finding anybody who can do it because no human being was designed to be able to save you. There is a Savior. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to do that for you so badly. Please hear me say that. I was trying to think of the number one thing that I wanted you guys to know and I wanted to say to you guys, and I think that was it because I didn't, I didn't plan the whole void thing and savior thing, but that, that's been something I've just noticed in my own life in so many different ways because I spent so much of my life thinking that I could fill this gap that I have in my heart with other things, including relationships. And, and if you're not at this point yet, you will be soon one day when you fall flat on your face and realize, oh, it's not going to happen that no matter how much I put effort into filling it up, it's not agape, it's not eternal. It, it fades and it's gone. His love never fails. 
His love can do that for you. His love, think of agape this way, as like the vertical love, the way that he loves us unconditionally and fills us up so that we can horizontally love the people in our lives, not just with phileo, but we can shoot for agape, shoot for the stars, and end up with ahava, which is us with all of our will because of decisions that we make, specifically in the context of marriage. We're in it, and we're not going anywhere. And you need to hear that tonight, that God is also saying that you tonight that to you tonight. He's saying, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And it starts with this before it it ends with you in a marriage trying to do the same thing I'm doing to you, to somebody else. You accept my love. You accept my agape. You let my agape come into your heart and fill those voids and complete you because I'm actually the one that can do it. And once you do that, you understand a little bit more about unconditional love. Then you go give it a shot with somebody else in your life who's also feeling the same thing from me, who also doesn't need you to save them because they have me doing that for them. Starts vertically. And once we get that, then the marriage thing's a completely different story once you're full in here. You're so free to not expect people to complete you and just love them for who they are, love a future wife or a future husband for who they are. And so tonight, if we're going to be a generation of young adults who are one day in marriages, and at the end of our lives, we're in marriages where we are best friends with, the pe- with our spouses and all of our friends and family know it, then it starts with accepting agape, the unconditional love that our heavenly fathers, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. That's what he's saying to you tonight. I'm here and I am not going anywhere. Good day or bad day, good season or bad season, I am here and I am not going anywhere. There is nothing that's gonna separate you from the unconditional love that's from God through Jesus Christ, nothing. Paul asked that question in Romans 8, is there anything that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, my Lord? And then he answers it at the very end of Romans 8. He says, man, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, not height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the agape of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hear that tonight, you guys. Like that's my plead for you tonight is to hear his invitation of agape to you right now. I'm not going anywhere. I've seen your bad. I've seen your ugly. In fact, I probably know how much more broken than you even are aware that you are and I am not going anywhere. I knew what I paid for when I sent my son to die a brutal death on that cross. I do not have buyer's remorse about you. I am not more in love with a future version of you who's got things together. I am in love with the version of you tonight, the version of you sitting in your seat right now. I have agape, unconditional love for. There is no bar of worthiness that you need to meet because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of agape, because agape is awesome. Agape, he's not going anywhere. And so I just, I want to ask this question tonight because I've been feeling it all day. If you're, if you're in here and you've never experienced that agape, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't know the unconditional love that he has for you, for God so loved the world, as Judah Smith would say, he so loved, not just a little bit of love for you, but he's so, like he was obsessed with you. The God of the universe, the creator of everything is obsessed with you tonight. And whether you acknowledge it or not, this obsession will always remain. My question is, like, why, would, why, why, why don't you want it? 
the unconditional love of a God whose love never fails, give me some of that. I will take that. You're not going to find something to fill that void in anything else, including a relationship, until you first find it in him. I promise, I promise, I promise. It makes everything so, like, so much more enjoyable because you're not seeking to be fulfilled in things. Like, I've got God. Now I can go out and just enjoy his creation, enjoy my marriage, enjoy, like, and I can love unconditionally the way that he's loved me. And so tonight, if you're in here and, and you want to accept that into your heart for the very first time, you want this God who loves with agape, who loves you unconditionally, who is not going anywhere, nor will he ever go anywhere at any point in your life. He has always been there, just waiting for you to acknowledge him. If you want him tonight, I'm going to ask you in a second just to raise your hand. And, and I ask you to raise your hand, not because you reciting a prayer after me or you raising your hand saves you. The Holy Spirit is the one who saves you. But you just got to think that when we, when we, show it outwardly it it solidifies it inwardly all right and so if you want jesus he's yours if you want agape it's yours and would you just raise your hand if that's you tonight because i want to say a prayer for you tonight awesome a freaking men i want to say a prayer heavenly father god i thank you for the people in this place that raised their hands to accept you into their lives for the very first time I thank you for your agape, and I thank you for the people in this room who are hungry for that tonight. God, you say when we drink out of other cups, it fills us up for a while, but then it's gone. But when we drink from your cup, we are full always. We are full always, God, and that's my prayer for people tonight. God, teach us to drink from your cup tonight. God, teach us to drink from the cup of agape, and let that thing just come in and and change us, God, from the inside out. Renew us from the inside out. Let your love transform who we are tonight, Father. I pray for the marriages in this room that either are happening right now, that might be in a bad spot right now, or people's marriages that are going to happen soon or at any point in our lives. God, I know that your hope for this generation is that we would be a generation full of, of married best friends that can be a lighthouse to this world that so desperately needs it. God, that's your desire for us, God, because you are good. And I pray that you would give that vision to every single person sitting in here, that your desire for their future marriage is a good vision. You have a good vision for that, Father. God, I can't do it justice, agape. Teach us daily to understand a little bit more what it means. We give you our future marriages, our current marriages in this place, Father. They are yours. Teach us to to love with our wills, to love unconditionally, to make decisions and stick those decisions out through the thick and the thin, the way that your son did, God. We love you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys, let's stand. Let's sing to the God who so agape the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the God we're singing to tonight. Do you believe that? You believe that? Let's sing. I love you guys.